pure heart. 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, New International Version. Love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We discussed earlier that the greatest need of humanity is the perfect love of God. While Yahweh gives us this love directly, His primary instrument for expressing love is His people, who carry out loving acts on a daily basis. How does God form this love in a man? To answer this question, we begin by learning the three ingredients that constitute love found in 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, New International Version. Love comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. These three ingredients combined make up love. If any one of them is missing, we cannot love. The first ingredient we will address is the pure heart. A pure heart is the first attribute of the mind of Christ in James 3, verse 17. It means to be free from corrupt desire, from sin and guilt. Strong's Concordance Lexicon, G2513, pure, in Matthew 5, verse 8. Now that we are born again, it is God's plan to move us from the deceitful and desperately wicked mind of Jeremiah 17, verse 9, to the perfectly pure mind of Christ in Matthew 5, verse 8. He initiates this process by commanding us to separate from all worldly people and influences as they will lead us back into a life of sin. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18 says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The word yoked in verse 14 refers to believers having non-essential relationships with unbelievers. God forbids our participation in non-essential relationships with unbelievers because their wickedness will corrupt us faster than our righteousness will save them. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, New International Version, and Proverbs 13, verse 20. We use the term non-essential because God never commanded us to have no relationship with unbelievers. Otherwise, we would have to leave the planet, 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 11. But he does demand that we restrict our relationships with unbelievers so we do not share in their sins, 1 Timothy 5, verse 22. The call of God for his people to separate from the world is not limited to the New Testament as it is the underlying theme of the whole Bible. In faithfulness to God, Noah constructed the ark and condemned the world. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Abraham separated from Ur of the Chaldees to become the father of faith. Genesis 11, verses 27 through 31. 
Genesis 12, verses 1 through 5, Romans 4, and Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 9. Moses separated the children of Israel from Egypt to be God's people and gave them a law that exalted them above all nations. Exodus. Deuteronomy 26, verses 18 through 19. Nehemiah also built a wall to separate Jerusalem from the practices of the surrounding peoples. Nehemiah 3 through 6. There are numerous examples in the Bible echoing this requirement from God. However, when God's people, Israel, did not remain separate, but aligned themselves with the world, they experienced catastrophe after catastrophe. In fact, all of Israel's calamities, subjugations, deportations, and exiles came from them not separating from the practices of their ungodly neighbors who typified the world. The same will be true of us as spiritual Israel if we do not make the decision to separate from the world wholeheartedly. What is the world? 1 John 2, 15-17 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Beginning with separation, God initiates the process of purifying our hearts and provides detailed instructions as to how we are to separate. One of the plainest examples of this instruction is found in the story of Joshua and Achan in Joshua chapter 7. In this episode, Joshua sends a small army to attack the city of Ai after completely destroying Jericho in chapter 6 as God commanded. But contrary to what God commanded, Achan, the son of Zerah, took of the forbidden things unbeknownst to Joshua. As the small band of soldiers approached the city they intended to attack, the men of Ai routed them, killing 36 soldiers. Joshua, at a loss as to how they were defeated, sought the Lord, and Yahweh gave him the strategy to detect the sin and purify the camp in chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. He said, In the morning ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. Notice how God's call begins with separation from the most distant of relationships and narrows down to the individual who is to separate from sin. This narrow way is the only path to a pure heart and victory over sin. Therefore, we will examine the application of this verse to our lives that we may undergo the same process. The tribe is a picture of our friends and associates. Our friends are the people in our peer group who give us identity when no parent was present to do so. They are a source of constant competition with God because when there is a choice between obedience to Him and obedience to the sinful peer group, we will often choose the peer group to avoid rejection. The associates are those people who are not necessarily our friends, but people with whom we have corrupt dealings. We run in the same sinful circles with them, and they aid us in our sin occasionally. God says we must separate from these first and all the sinful places we enjoy together. Next, God calls out the family. 
Separation in this area is very painful for most believers to accept, but we must even separate ourselves from godless family members. As believers in Christ, those who do the will of God are our new family. Christ said in Matthew 12, verses 47 through 50, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren! For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Who is your family? If you do not know, this word of Christ in Matthew 12, verses 47 through 50 is for you. Most Christians completely ignore this scripture and esteem their natural family over their spiritual family regardless of the lifestyle they live. If a believer has a higher regard for his natural family than his spiritual family, then he is esteeming his natural family over Christ, because the church is his body. Ephesians 1, verses 21 through 23. He cannot be a disciple with this attitude. Christ issues that warning in Luke 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What does Christ mean by using the word hate? It cannot mean hate in the literal sense of the word, as that would make us murderers. 1 John 3, verse 15. What Christ is saying is our love for him and his body ought to be so great that our love for anyone or anything else is hatred compared to our love for him. Does this mean that we should not assist our close relatives and extended family at all? No. The Bible says in the last sentence of Isaiah 58, verse 7, New American Standard Bible, that part of the acceptable fast to God is not hiding yourself from your own flesh. But assisting our natural family is conditioned by them experiencing a legitimate need, which they cannot meet on their own. Examples of these needs are described at the beginning of Isaiah 58, verse 7, New American Standard Bible, when he writes, Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house when you see the naked to cover him? Hungry, homeless, and naked are conditions which suggest that as a rule, we should provide material help to our relatives when they cannot help themselves. This principle prevents gracious believers from being taken advantage of by their ungodly family members and from sinning by enabling someone to be lazy who can take care of themselves. Ephesians 4, verse 28, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, and 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 12. Following the family, Yahweh calls out the household. To separate myself in the home, I must eliminate Everything that causes sin, Matthew 13, verse 41, New International Version. Eliminating everything that causes sin means we must first hate and abstain from television, movies, music, and any other form of entertainment that displeases God. For listings of content that displeases God, see Galatians 5, verses 18 through 21, Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 5, Colossians 3, verses 5 through 8, 1 Peter 2, verse 1, 1 Peter 4, verse 3, 
and Revelation 21, verse 8. Secondly, it means we must throw those sinful items we purchased away. Flushing money down the toilet is a source of pain greater than that of separating from ungodly family members. But what we must understand is each sinful item we purchase is an investment in rebellion against God. If we love money, we will not throw the items away because money is our master, not God. Believers cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6, verse 24. In the end, anything displeasing to God is cursed and destroyed. Matthew 13, verses 37 through 41. There will be nothing impure in heaven. The possession of cursed things calls to mind Achan's sin in Joshua 7. What sin did he commit that brought the onward advance of Israel in the land of Canaan to a complete stop? What necessitated the process of separation in the camp? Achan pleased himself by displeasing God. He acquired items, stuff, material things that were impure in his sight. Yahweh said to Joshua in verses 10 through 12, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. If we do not take separation from the sin in our homes seriously, any advance against personal sin will stop. We cannot purify our hearts to the level of Christ's purity if we continue to fill our hearts with impurity. 1 John 3, verses 1-3 Finally, after we separate from ungodly friends and associates, from ungodly family members, and from wicked entertainment, we can begin to focus all our energies on our own heart pictured by Yahweh, separating them man by man. Only then can the sin in our inner lives be uncovered and rooted out. Joshua 7, verses 19-25 through 25 says, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them to the valley of Achor. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire, after they had stoned them with stones. Achan is a picture of us as believers, and the Babylonian garment is a picture of the sin in our hearts. 
We must seek out sin as ruthlessly as the messengers and be just as zealous for its destruction. We are to take the sin and the stubborn self-will empowering it and burn them to death in the fire of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verses 13 through 14. After this, we stone the sin to death with the word of God. Matthew 7 verses 24 through 25. With this attitude, there are two categories of sins from which God wants us to be purified, found in Psalms 19, verses 12 through 13. David writes, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. The secret faults are the sins I am committing of which I am not aware. The presumptuous sins are the sins I am fully aware I am committing. This includes thoughts, for even the thought of foolishness is sin. Proverbs 24, verse 9. As I purify myself from the sins I know I am committing, God will reveal to me unconscious sins. This purification process is similar to how the sun gradually shines out the darkness as it rises. This is the meaning of Proverbs 4, verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The more we purify ourselves, the more the darkness in our hearts fades away until none remains. Having no part of our lives in the darkness is how we reach the perfect day or noonday sun in our Christian walk. Luke 11 verse 36. The goal of achieving total purity refreshes our previous conversation on the mind of Christ, our ultimate objective in life. God's purpose for us since before the creation of the world is that we be conformed to the image of His Son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, verse 29. Christ was pure in heart, so his brothers must be pure in heart. The demonstrated purity of his heart we find in Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Yeshua, the word of God, was perfectly pure. He began his life with purity and ascended into heaven the same way. Since the day of his ascension, we eagerly await his return, tasked with being prepared to meet him when he comes. How do we prepare? 1 John 3, verses 2-3 through 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Let us strive daily to obtain the perfectly pure mind of Christ.